You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NEJM Audio Perspectives, provided in cooperation with the New England Journal of Medicine and moderated by Dr. Arnold Epstein of the Journal and Chair of the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Harvard School of Public Health. Past, present, and future. Um, That's the sequence. That's how it unfolds. Let's look back. Um, When President Obama was candidate Obama, just a year ago when we did our last forum here, he was very clear about his domestic priorities. The economy was number one, and after that was health care and energy. And he has not wavered one bit. And if you look at how health policy has unfurled from the White House, I wouldn't be the first one to comment that it looks like a redux of reverse Clintonism. For if you go back to 1993, President Clinton wrote the first textbook. He came out in January and at the end of the month created a task force of federal bureaucrats, advisors, and counselors to ultimately produce a 1,300-page document called the Health Security Act. Enormous in its scope and complexity, and what was remarkable about it is it came totally out of the executive branch, not a whit out of Congress. It took until September before it was even introduced to the, the populace, leave alone gone through the committees, and the president, to demonstrate his commitment to it, said with a typical Clintonian gesture, it will be universal coverage and not one bit less. And he appointed his wife to head the task force, putting the bill forth as an additional sign of his resolve, not to mention her own formidable ability. And despite that ability and his resolve, it did not work. And we did not get health reform last time. No legislation. So this time we see President Obama really following a totally different script. No executive task force, just the opposite. This is Congress's job to propose the laws and make them. And it was the executive's job, at least until two weeks ago, to merely espouse eight very broad principles and to partake in a very modest public relations campaign, getting information, regional forums, things like that. And Mr. Obama made it clear that he wanted something simple, not with labyrinthine complexity. Let's stick to what we're familiar with. He made it clear that he was ready to compromise. I have eight principles, but I'm ready to give in. And oh yes, please get on it. Time is of the essence. And so now we've come full circle towards the end game. President Obama took eight principles and started to, started to hone in on some of the things that he thinks are most important. And in Congress, we've seen the Congress do its job, still doing its job. Five committees of jurisdiction, three of them in the House, Ways and Means, Labor, and Energy and Commerce, have produced H.R. 3200. Slightly different variants out of each committee, but basically the same bill. The HELP Committee, Health Education, Labor, and Pensions, and the Senate has produced a bill on the delivery system, but they can't touch finance. And the Finance Committee is marking up as we speak. There are some important points of agreement. First has got to be the change in the insurance markets. All the bills call for something, be it national or state-based, some sort of exchange or gateway that will make it easier for those in the small group or individual market to get insurance efficiently. They also call for regulations of the health insurance industry. Real changes such as guaranteed issue, guaranteed renewability, exclusion of pre-existing conditions, and limited risk rating. They call for expansion of the Medicaid program. Not only expansion for women and children, which has been in there before, but for men and other categorical groups that will go through. There are four more provisions. There are individual mandates and employer mandates. That is to say, individuals will be required to 
purchase insurance or pay penalties, and employers of a certain size, it'll vary by bill, 25 or 50 members or a certain size payroll, will be required to purchase insurance or contribute towards it in another way. And then there'll be subsidies. For individuals to help purchase insurance, up to 400% of the poverty line, and for small employers who are willing to go out and buy insurance, there'll be tax credits. Those are the points of agreement. And yes, in the second decimal place, they all vary. And some of those variabilities are important about exactly how big the subsidies are and exactly how big the penalties are. But those are all, those are all places where I think the, the members agree and where I think we can get to yes. But there are some places where yes may elude us. Do we have a public plan? Is it state-based? Is it national? And especially in the details, how regulatory is it? What are the rules about competing and not competition? And how big are the subsidies that we're going to need? Tremendous difference from them. And where is the money going to come from to pay for those subsidies? How much of that money will come from Medicare cuts? How much of it will come from taxes on the elderly? How much of it will come from fees or taxes on health insurance firms that provide expensive policies? And what about the expansion of Medicaid? Are states ready for it? And is that expansion funded, or is it an unfunded mandate? And finally, as we try and move forward politically, it takes 60 votes, as everybody knows, for cloture. If they're not there, will we go towards reconciliation? All those are important questions. And they're exactly the sorts of questions that I'm hoping our panel focuses on as we move forward. Their charge has been to think about what's happened to date to feel free to talk about what they like or what they don't like, what they think the opportunities are and the challenges are, and especially how they see this thing, whatever this thing is, playing out. Leading off will be Henry Aaron, AKA Hank Aaron. He is the Virginian Bruce McLowry Senior Fellow at the Brookings. He's been a noted and well-regarded health policy analyst for many years and brings not only that position as someone who has written, thought, and counseled others for many years, but has served himself in the past as Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation. So with that wide experience, Hank, let me invite you to be first. Uh, I'd like to uh, start off with something akin to the cliff notes for health reform. Uh, but before getting into that, uh, observe that I think there was one sentence in President Obama's speech to the joint session of Congress, which was about as clearly wrong as uh, any president has ever said, and that was that he, he thought that if we succeeded with health care reform legislation, he would be the last president uh, for whom this would be a major issue. I think the uh, more correct observation would be that uh, if he succeeds, uh, he will be the first in a long line of presidents who will be introducing legislation on health reform probably for as long as anybody in this room is alive. The reason for that uh, is that uh, the industry is huge. If we got it right the first time, it would be nothing short of miraculous. We will make mistakes, whatever we do. Uh, and I think by far and away the most important issue is not so much what we do, but that we do something, that we move off dead center on the issue of health reform. So uh, with that as uh, background, I'm going to start also with the public option and provide a basis for what I'm sure will be disagreement within the panel by saying that I think this has been a monumentally overhyped issue both by advocates uh, and opponents. The reason I say it is not because a public option doesn't have within it the potential to be a game changer 
but because given Congress's fundamentally small c uh, conservative attitude toward preserving the interests of major constituencies, the chance that a public option would be allowed in a major way to erode the position of private insurance companies in the health insurance business is close to zero. With that constraint, if one accepts that constraint, then the fears of the opponents of the public option are grossly overblown, and the hopes of the advocates of the public option will, in my view, not be realized. The second issue are the subsidies necessary to make an individual mandate affordable. Uh, how deep are they? That depends on the question of how uh, complete the coverage that's mandated actually is. The major bills in both the House and the Senate, uh, draft bills, uh, all contain uh, plans of varying degrees of generosity measured by their actuarial value, uh, and the mandates differ depending on where a person is on the income scale. Um, the uh, differences among the bills in the generosity of coverage and in what individuals are expected to pay is huge, and this issue is of critical substantive importance. Just as an example, if you're just above the poverty threshold, the premiums required under the Senate Finance Committee bill are nearly five times as large as those in the first drafted Senate Health Education, Labor, and Pension Committee bill, and more than three times larger than those of the subsequently drafted House bill, um, so-called H.R. 3200. Um, the generosity of the insurance that would be bought for the higher premiums in the Baucus bill is significantly lower, uh, covering a smaller fraction of expected health care spending. As you move up the income scale, the uh, S Senator Baucus's bill quits earlier at 300 percent of poverty, and it does so with higher premiums and a lower level of insurance coverage than in the other two bills. That's one of the reasons why the Senate bill appears to be uh, less expensive uh, than uh, the earlier Senate bill or the uh, House, drafted, uh, House committee drafted bill. Let me turn to issue three. What do you do with employers? There are two questions here. Uh, which businesses do you exempt? Uh, how large uh, are the companies that don't have to provide some kind of a contribution to health insurance on behalf of their employees? And if a company is large enough to be subject to a requirement, how large are the penalties imposed if they don't provide acceptable health insurance to their employees? Uh, the first issue, uh, to put it crudely, determines uh, how the various small business organizations will respond to this bill. And the second issue has a big effect on what the net cost in terms of required tax increases or spending cuts to pay for the bill. Issue four are the exchanges. What are the rules they are required, are empowered to enforce, uh, and how are they organized? I'm going to move on because the next issue is the one that I've focused on and I think in the end uh, is going to be the critical one. Uh, it is summarized by the comment made to the two Washington Post reporters in the Watergate scandal by the so their source, Deep Throat, follow the money. Uh, 
the money is of critical importance. The uh, piece that I, uh, is in your uh, handout makes, uh, I think, one central point, and that is that the ramp up for spending under all the health care reform bills is slow but then becomes steep. That means that the great bulk of the cost of the bill, whether it's $800 billion or a trillion, occurs in the latter part of the 10-year accounting period that is going to be used to measure the cost of the bill under congressional rules. The simple rule of thumb is you're going to spend about 20% of the 10-year cost in the 10th year. And costs will maintain, be maintained at that level or higher in subsequent years. Now that's of critical importance because President Obama uh, has said throughout the year and reiterated under terms he could not conceivably, in my view, back away from uh, during his speech, nor should he back away from, uh, that he will not sign any health care reform bill that is not paid for over 10 years and in the 10th year. Furthermore, members of Congress uh, have uh, tasked the Congressional Budget Office with providing at least rough, a rough estimate of what the costs would be beyond that 10-year period. This requirement actually, I think, had a profound effect on the way in which Senator Baucus drifted, drafted his bill. I told you you would get into budgetary weeds here, uh, and here are a couple. Uh, the House bill actually rather bravely took on and addressed a legislative screw-up from some years back called the Sustainable Growth Rate Formula for paying physicians uh, under Medicare. This was a proposal to place overall spending limits on how much is paid to Medicare physicians uh, and stipulated that if the spending targets were exceeded, then the price, the fees, of physicians would be cut enough in subsequent years to bring total payments back down uh, to the target levels. Lo and behold, the budget was exceeded. Lo and behold, Congress uh, saw the implied fee cut and for a, a number of years has done exactly the same thing. They've said, we're going to stick by that law, but not next year. Next year, we will increase fees a modest amount, but we won't cut them as required under the formula. Well, right now, uh, the backlog of required fee cuts uh, is huge, uh, in excess of 20% required for next year. Uh, Congress is not going to do that. But in order to correct it, uh, you have to change the law which the Congressional Budget Office will score as a spending increase relative to the baseline. The House bill said, okay, we're going to fix this and we're going to raise, try to raise money to pay for it. Actually, they didn't raise enough according to the Congressional Budget Office's estimate. But when it came the Senate's turn, Senator Baucus's committee's turn to do this, they backed away from this issue and said, We'll fix it for next year, but not beyond that period. So they did what Congress has done in the past, and that has a very nice effect. Not only did it help the Congressional Budget Office bring in an estimate saying that the bill was paid for over 10 years by the tax increases and spending cuts contained in the bill, and in the 10th year, but in addition, although they couldn't give a hard estimate, it looked like the surpluses would widen 
in the period beyond the first 10 years. So uh, there is a bit of budgetary game playing that uh, has been played and uh, may well be paid, played in any reform legislation that actually gets passed. But the challenge of raising sufficient funds to pay for uh, a bill that members of Congress are willing to sign uh, is something that remains to be addressed. I don't know the answer to this. This is genuinely inside baseball, uh, but I can see Arnie looking at his watch, and that suggests that it's time for me to stop. You've been listening to NEJM Audio Perspectives, provided in cooperation with the New England Journal of Medicine. The following part of this discussion continues next week on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals.